Welcome back to Humans of Purpose. I'm your host, Mike Davis, and each week I bring you weekly conversations with local purpose-driven leaders. Leaders creating social impact through their work and inspiring positive social change across a wide variety of sectors. So sit back, tune in, and enjoy the next 40 minutes guaranteed to inspire you with our signature blend of wisdom, experience, and banter. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com. It's going to be an interesting um, period of time. I, I think the, this year, especially as organizations are really keen to, to get people into workplaces and creating a different level of experience for employees because, you know, they're no longer in the, in the workplace. Five, you know, 80% of your workforce was generally in the workplace five days a week. So that's changing. Um, I, I would say a lot of things will change, you know, the way that organizations uh, train and develop their employees and, um, and and work out their talent and succession pipelines will change. Great to be back with you here after a long, refreshing weekend, as always. A bit of housekeeping before I kick off and introduce our stellar guest. As you may be aware, it can be quite challenging to run an independent and primarily self-funded podcast, especially using a social enterprise model. If you wish to support us and get some great value back in return, there are now two ways in which you can do so. Firstly, as an individual, you can become a Humans of Purpose member like Andrew, Margaret, Ben and Misha via our new platform, Supercast. Supercast gives us both an easier way that I can share exclusive member-only content with you, including early access to all episodes, ad-free episodes, full transcripts of each episode personal audio notes on every episode, as well as my five key takeaways written in the show notes, private discussion group access, and brokered intros to our podcast guests. If just 1% of you from our pool of 7,000 monthly listeners decide to join me on this mission, I can take steps to grow our community and our impact. My long-term goal for the podcast is to turn our website into a vibrant learning, supporting, and connective community of practice for purpose-driven people and organizations. To get your membership and support our sustainability, just hit the link in our show notes under membership or head directly to humansofpurpose.supercast.com. The second way that you can support us is by choosing to promote your organization, goods or services on Humans of Purpose via one of our sponsorship or promotional packages. We offer just 10 opportunities per year for these packages that enable values-aligned offerings to appear on the show along with guest appearances and a number of other promotional perks. To learn more, just hit the link in our show notes under promotional packages, or just head to humansofpurpose.com and scroll down to the middle of the page. Now that's housekeeping complete. Our amazing guest this week is Zrinka Lovrencic. Zrinka is the CEO of WorkPlus. WorkPlus is a people and culture consultancy enabling every organization to be a great workplace and empowering every organization to make that happen. The mission at WorkPlus is to ignite meaningful interactions between people and workplaces across Australia and New Zealand to enable them to be their best. Zerinka has a wealth of experience in this space, having run the Best Places to Work Awards since 2007. If anyone knows good organisational culture, elements of great workplaces, what motivates, inspires and engages people, it's Zerinka. She also has a consulting background and previously ran the Great Place to Work Australia Awards, which were the preeminent awards for top workplaces in Australia. Zerinka is also behind Work for the Best, which is an amazing website enabling job seekers to find jobs at the best workplaces that are right for them. This was a great conversation with Zerinka, where we talk about employee engagement in a post-COVID world. We discuss the impending return to work and how the best workplaces are managing this. 
We talk about diversity and inclusion and why it matters across a range of dimensions. We also get into a conversation about the Great Resignation and discuss whether it's made up or a real thing, and also how to ensure good mental health and well-being in the workplace and where the lines between work and personal time are increasingly blurred. Hope you enjoy this conversation with Zrinka as much as I did. Zrinka, I am so happy to welcome you to Humans of Purpose. It's been a little while. We're doing it remotely, but great to have you on the show today. Oh, thank you so much, Mike. I'm really excited to be on today. Look, you've had an amazing journey. I followed your work closely um, when you were at great, great places to work and also Work Plus. And I've been trying to get you on for a couple of years, actually, because I think the space you work in is just really important. Um, why don't we just start at the beginning and learn a little bit about your journey? You've obviously worked across finance, L&D, management consulting, and, and now in the space you're in today. And just take us through your kind of um, trajectory and what you were thinking at the time and maybe sort of some of the reasons for your transitions across that um, journey. Yeah. So um, I did not dream of becoming an accountant when I was a child. I uh, very much wanted to be a flight attendant. Uh, And it wasn't until I was in about year 12 that I had, um, through my mum, met a flight attendant, a Qantas flight attendant, who informed me that they have to wash the toilets on the plane as part of their duties. And at that point, I thought to myself, I think I better go to university. And um, so it was about, you know, late 90s um, when I finished high school and it was a different economic time, definitely more uncertainty. And I remember talking about my options with my parents and, um, you know, they gave very parental advice of, well, why don't you study finance? You're good with numbers. And, you know, when companies close down, accountants are the last ones to leave. So that is how (laughs) I became an accountant. (laughs) It's amazing. It's an amazing story. Um, and I worked in accounting for a few years and it kind of got to the pace, the stage where I needed to do either a CA or a CPA to really progress. And I thought to myself, um, is this what I really want to do? And the answer was no. I, um, I, I was definitely back then a lot more introverted than I am now. And, um, but at the same time, I really liked working with people and talking with people and uh, and working in a team environment, and I always, you know, one of the things that I loved about accounting that was that it was a puzzle. You had to solve a problem. You had to make things balance. And so I, I knew that it wasn't the right fit for me. And I um, I went and saw a recruiter, and I said to him, "Look, I will literally do anything. I uh, I've studied marketing at uni. I studied accounting. Accounting's not for me." you know, this is this is kind of what I want to do. I want to work with more people and so on. And that's how I ended up in learning and development, which was an interesting introduction to um, to the whole world of HR. And um, I'm, I'm still in contact with my boss from that organisation who always laughs that in the interview, when he asked me if I had any questions, my question was, how does L&D justify its existence? Because it's a fee-burning section of the organization and he always said to me I hired you because you asked that question and you know it was just so left out of field and you thought differently to the rest of the team you brought an but it was a really uh, good introduction you brought an accountant's rigor and perspective to the, exactly <laughs> to the right. you know justify your existence <laughs> um yeah but um you know L&D opened my eyes to HR and to empowering people, to building their skills, 
um, it, it, you know, married the elements that I liked, which were around solving problems. Um, building things, analyzing data, because you know all all roles really include some sort of analysis of data. Um, and then an opportunity came to join Great Place to Work when it first entered the Australian market. I was employee number one, and um, and that really kind of brought together the skills I had learned along the way. So there was a lot of data analysis. I started out in a um, in more of a data role. Um, there was a lot of working with organizations, solving problems, analyzing people data, you know, working with the people team. And, um, and, and that's how it grew. Two years after I joined Great Place to Work, I had the opportunity to buy out the um, Australian arm of the business, which I did. And uh, I owned that until 2020. Fantastic. And maybe if I can just jump in, what did you learn um, in your journey at Great Places to Work about what it means to, what are the key characteristics of a great place to work um, and are they different um, between Australia and different countries? I think when you look at the key principles of what makes a great workplace, it does boil down to some very common factors. Um, You know, everyone wants to wake up in the morning and be excited to go to work. So what are the elements that make that? You know, you need to work for an organisation that respects you, that uh, recognises that you have a talent and you have a skill and you're bringing that to the organisation and they want to use that. So, you know, they challenge you, they encourage you to think differently, to do better, to to think greater. Um, You know, people like working with other other people as well. So organisations that encourage teamwork and encourage collaboration, which leads to innovation and growth in organisations is also um, quite important. And organisations that respect individuals, they respect individuals' needs and um, and opportunities and areas of strength as well and capitalise on those. Fantastic. And if you had to describe Work Plus to somebody who's never heard of Great Places to Work or Work Plus before, how, how would you kind of characterise it? Yeah, so Work Plus, uh, I started in uh, in 2020 and uh, Work Plus focuses on doing work in the Australian market. Uh, we do research into Australian workplaces. Uh, we run the Best Places to Work study and uh, we also offer consulting advice to organisations uh, looking to improve their employee attraction and retention strategies And we also help recognise organisations, not only through the Best Places to Work study, but we have accreditation programs in place. And last last year, um, in the middle of the pandemic, we decided to start something new, which is called Work for the Best. And it's a website that encompasses all the companies that we have analysed and accredited as a great workplace. Uh, It's really designed for for job seekers to find organisations that are vetted as great employers. And, um, and also do a little quiz to see which organisations suit them before they even start looking at a role at that organisation, what, what organisations suit them. And then it also allows them to link to that organisation's career page and see what, uh, what's available there. Um, the reason I came to the idea of work for the best is that that cultural alignment between the individual and the organisation is so important. Mm. You know, at different stages of your life, different things will be important to you. So in terms of learning and development, parental leave, secondment opportunities, um, investment in training and development, different things will be important to you at different times. And some organisations do some things really well 
And that's why we encourage people to take this quiz to see, well, what's really important to me at the moment and which organisations offer what is important to me and make that match up front. Um, You know, so many times we've seen great people join great companies, but they just didn't align. Um, And we've seen great people, unfortunately, join not so great organisations as well. When you're um, evaluating some of these organisations or certifying them as great places to work or the the best to work for, what are some of the key dimensions that you look at um, in those organisations that you're kind of ranking to sort of see whether they, um, they, they make the mark? Yeah, so there's two assessments that we run on organisations. One is an employee engagement survey. So we want to hear from their employees, is this a great workplace? And if so, what are some of the elements that make it a great workplace? And, you know, conversely, if if the scores aren't well, it gives us an insight into what's not working for employees. We also ask the organisation to complete a submission, which tells us a little bit about how they create engagement and how they create a great workplace. So we assess everything from how they inspired their employees, how did they link their everyday jobs to the company goals, how they communicate downwards, how they allow for upward communication in the organisation, how they develop people, how they reward and recognise people, how they support their employees. So in terms of work-life balance, mental health, physical health, and so on. Uh, We also assess how they create diversity and inclusion in the workplace, how they create teamwork, and also how they celebrate their successes. So there's a lot of elements and there's no perfect organisation out there. Um, Some organisations do a lot of things really well, some things outstandingly, and, you know, there's always room for improvement in organisations. This also helps us keep the pulse, keep our finger on the pulse of What's moving in the market? What is changing? What are employees telling us that they want different in their workplace? And also, what are organisations moulding as well to create some a point of difference in their company as well? So you've got some amazing resources on the website that I stumbled across, including some on how to improve diversity and inclusion in the workplace. I've seen so many studies on uh, the importance of diversity for good firm performance and for good individual performance. I'm just keen to get your insights on why that might be the case and, you know, are you really seeing a push from uh, employers to improve their diversity? And if so, is it just gender diversity or are there other domains of diversity that are important in that conversation? Yeah. Um, Gender diversity has been kind of the cornerstone of the diversity and inclusion movement in organisations. Having said that, there is... um, There is... There is so much more to to diversity in the workplace. You can look at your workforce and say, well, do we have a diversity in age, in experience, in background, not only cultural but experience-wise as well? Do people come from different industries, uh, have different levels of education? All of this helps us understand the world better. People come from um, different backgrounds and they have different ways of viewing problems in the workplace and um, problems you're trying to solve for your clients. And, uh, and and this dissent creates an opportunity for discussion, for innovation to happen, for productivity to be boosted as well. Uh, the second element to this is that Australia has had an attraction and retention issue for well over a decade. Mm-hmm. For as long as I've been in, in, in this field of work, which has been almost 20 years now, 
there has been a attraction and retention problem. And so, you know, we have to look at how do we attract and retain different people into the organization. If we say that we're going that we're a diverse organization, are we displaying that internally through the interview process, through the onboarding process? If we say we're a workplace that um, you know, welcomes working parents, well, do we have policies and practices that actually support that? So it's definitely moving that down the line of organizations are realizing that they actually are diverse you know, not just on a gender level, but when you look at all different elements of diversity and inclusion, they are diverse. And they have to think about how will they support these employees to be able to blend their work and their life and um, and therefore stay at your organisation for longer. Very well said. Now, you talked a little bit about the problem of attraction and retention, uh, which has sort of been an ongoing struggle in organisations. Has that become better or worse or exacerbated due to the COVID world we're now living in? Are you seeing people kind of move jobs uh, more frequently or less frequently? Oh, I've, I've definitely noticed in the last 12 months a, a reshuffle happening. I don't like to call it the great resigation because people aren't leaving the workforce. They're just leaving companies for yeah. another company. So, you know, there is a reshuffle um, happening and I would say, the last two years have created so much angst and uh, uncertainty that maybe people are changing roles just for the sake of changing, you know, having having something different in their life, something new. And organisations have to be prepared for that. If it's not going to impact them directly, it's going to impact their suppliers, it's going to impact their customers, which means your decision makers are, are moving along. So, you know, organisations definitely have to be prepared uh, for for attraction and retention in this post-COVID era. I mean, essentially, our borders are still, essentially. Um, It it has not been easy to get labour into the country over the last two years. Uh, And it's going to take a while for it to pick up. I mean, we still have states that have their borders closed. So, you know, businesses are being affected if they operate uh, across the country. Um, is attraction and retention getting better? Well, I think in essence, no. <laughs> uh, however, organisations are getting better at realising that they need to focus on employee engagement, on employee experience, that it does have an effect on the type of talent they attract and the quality of talent they attract. It's very well said. And um you know, in this sort of, you call it a post-COVID world, I'd, I'd probably still call it a COVID world because I think, you yeah. know, as, you, as you said, not that much. Post-lockdown. Like, yeah, post-lockdown, <laughs> uh, mid-COVID world. Um, yeah. How does an organisation work on employee engagement where a lot of the time the employees are at home uh, and there's sort of, you know, there's this big gulf and distance where you know people are at home, often they're homeschooling, often they're juggling many responsibilities of home life with work life. They're maybe not feeling as connected to the workplace because the physical connection isn't there. What are you seeing kind of happen in the better firms and how are they handling this um, this need to kind of improve engagement despite the challenges of COVID? Yeah. So one of our clients in our group um, have a really good way of putting this. They don't call it a work-life balance. They call it a work-life blend Um, because there are some things that need a little bit more attention on some days and other aspects of that work-life equilibrium that need attention on other days. Um, It all starts with 
asking the question. And I know it sounds too simple, but really you need to ask the question. Ask people about what are they struggling with? What are they juggling at the moment? Do they have children to take care of? Do they have elderly parents to take care of? Do they have other carer responsibilities? What stresses are they under? Health stresses, financial stresses. Um, What's impacting their household? What's the best solution for them to work at the moment? You know, I think we really have to think of it in terms of we have great employees and we need to keep them. So how can we create an environment that's going to work for them? How will communication work for people? That's one of the big factors that has gone through so many changes over the last two years. You know, when we had the first lockdown, um, engagement actually went up. Employee engagement went up because oh, yeah. it was new. It was novel. Companies were over-communicating, you know, on a daily basis. This is what's happening. Um, this is what we're doing today. Uh, and, and, you know, this is how things are changing. This is the status of things because essentially we were basically running to stay still. But now that we're, we need to impact productivity, we need to start growing and selling and developing things again, it, it is going to have to require a reshuffle. Um and one of those elements is that I think the way we work has changed forever. Mm. I, I don't see us attracting everyone back to the office five days a week anymore. I What's the magic number there, Strinker? Do you think it's um, two or three days is the magic number? Uh, the magic number. I I, um, I don't know if there is a magic number. I think I would prefer a three-day in the office work. I mean, you can, you, you can see I'm in the office today. I quite like working from the office. I like seeing people. Um, I think every team's going to have to find out what their balance is, you know, because then you might have people coming in two days a week, but if they're not coming on the same day, is it really beneficial? Mm. Is it not? I think one of the things that's really going to um, suffer is junior employees are not going to learn through osmosis like oh, yeah. they did previously, you know. that's I, th- I think that's one of the big casualties. Um, and, and, you know, so we have to really rethink about how do we measure performance? How do we promote good employees? How do we assess capability, need and um, and opportunities for employees? There's a lot of things we will have to relearn and reconfigure. And so this leads me to my next question about sort of those blurring boundaries and you, you captured it well in the now model of blended uh, work and life. But, you know, the right to switch off from work, how do you delineate between, um, you know, what is the end of work time when traditionally it was the act of physically leaving the office at maybe 5, 5.30? And, um, you know, you, you see people now who are just pinging around emails at 7.30, 8pm, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, and everyone seems to be on a different schedule of, of work. But I know there are some people uh, who really just appreciate being able to work a block of eight hours, nine hours, and then that's it for the day. So how how will firms be navigating that and and what have you seen be the case? Yeah, I mean, I received two emails from two different clients at 10.30 last night and my first thought was I better respond to this and then I thought, well, no, (laughs) no, because I'm not going to make sense. It's way past my bedtime. Um, Yeah. Technology is going to play a huge part in how we deal with this. You know, whether your organisation utilises Yammer, uh, Teams, Zoom, whatever the case is, um, you know, it's just as 
lucky we went through this huge digital transformation right before COVID hit that we're kind of in a better position to handle it, right? Everything is online. A lot of the collaboration is happening online. And I think we're going to have to redefine rules around what is expected and what is uh, not expected, which I kind of feel like we did this a few years ago. You know, Mm. a lot of the organisations even disabled the ability to send emails between certain hours. Mm. And I think that those parameters really need to be set. Team leaders need to be very clear about what is acceptable, what is unacceptable. And, you know, you have to go back to the basics around your organization's mission, vision, core values. What are those family rules around how how we operate, irrespective of where we are operating from? What are those rules and what do they look like in this hybrid environment? And I wonder whether there's a space for regulation because, as you've seen, France has the the now famous right to disconnect where um, yeah. employees are legislatively, legislatively protected from receiving company emails beyond, you know, work close time. And I think Belgium's about to uh, adopt similar legislation. So I wonder, you know, are we, are we because of this blended mode of work and life, um, slowly having our right to disconnect eroded and Will we ever truly be able to disconnect again, given the new reality? Yeah, you know, um, fundamentally, you sh- you should have that right. But then, when you layer it with the fact that we do have a labour shortage, and a lot of backfilling is happening, especially in growth areas such as professional services and technology, it's um, it, it, it's going to be a challenge uh, for organisations. And I guess the right thing. To- them to do is to really assess how their employees are working, where they're working from, and, you know, create new schedules and new boundaries. What are some of the best examples you've seen of uh, workplaces being able to motivate um, employee engagement, productivity, and performance in this kind of strange COVID uh, interim land that we're in now? Yeah. You know, the hybrid work environment, um, creates a communication issue, which is probably the basis of um, of all the issues that are coming that are coming to life at the moment. And it's because the best communication we have is video and that's really two dimensional, um, maybe two and a half dimensional. you know um, emails can be taken the wrong way. Emails don't convey emotion or maybe a true attitude. state of your understanding, <laughs> attitude and so on. They can be, misinterpreted Hmm. and video calls are you know almost as good as being face to face with a person but still nothing uh nothing will will beat that face-to-face connection um a lot of responsibility and a lot of additional work has fallen onto team leaders supervisors middle management because just the she volume of calls they have to make to touch base with people to, to get a better sense of what's happening in the organisation and where people are at has caused a strain. I think that um, a lot of the reshuffle will happen at that mid-layer and supervisor level. I think, you know, the team ratios will go down in a hybrid um, if, if organisations choose to, to work in a hybrid formation and a lot of a lot more individual contribution will happen in, um, in the hybrid model as well. Um, Best case scenario organizations were organizations that 
were really good employers even before the pandemic. You know, it allowed them to swiftly change things that needed to change. And they were organisations that were always very respectful of their team members, um, very open to feedback, uh, organisations that proactively went and sought how people felt, what support networks they needed, you know, organisations that really spelt out for their employees how they impact the organisation. So it's not too late. Organisations can still achieve all those things. And um, it, it really does start with getting to know who works for you and putting together that matrix of these are the things we need to achieve, these are the people that we have, do we have the right resources in place for starters? And secondly, how do we support them? What do they need? Yeah, fantastic. And how important do things like mental health and wellbeing programs become to sort of, you know, um, be aware of your employees' mental health and the state of being and and all the circumstances that surround us at an anxious time, really, like um, COVID? Yeah, Health and well-being in the organisation has come leaps and bounds. You know, when I started researching organisations back in 2007, the pinnacle of health and well-being in the workplace was a fruit bowl and a discounted gym membership. <laughs> uh, and that's okay. That's where we started. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, and then we understood that not everyone is into fruit and gym memberships and, <laughs> and expanded that offering as well. Um, but looking after people's mental health has just been part of the way society operates and part of organisations' duty as well. We know that people perform their best when they're feeling their best. So why wouldn't we want them to be their best every day and create opportunities for support that they need? The pandemic really exacerbated this. We had so many employees who were living alone. And, you know, in, in lockdown, they had literally not seen another human for weeks. And, um, and and that definitely created a lot of strain and um, a lot of additional support required for employees. Um, and a lot of these support programs also come with organisations that are aware of their diversity and actively work on their inclusion and belonging plans as well. Um, but looking after employees' health and well-being, whether it's mental, physical, financial, is imperative to organisations having a healthy team. And what do you think of this movement towards the four-day work week that's been talked about by many writers, many philosophers, many thinkers in the space, but also trialled famously in New Zealand with um, some pretty strong results? Do you see that kind of coming to Oz and is this something you're seeing be picked up by more of the, um, the high-performing firms? Well, look, prior to the Industrial Revolution, a work day was a work week was seven days, right? So then he moved to five days and maybe it will move to a four-day week. Um, I don't see why it won't work. It requires, you know, uh, a lot of coordination, making sure that you can cover your customers' needs, your internal needs. You can support your team and members, support your organisation and so on. But the... There are um, a lot of organisations out there that have trialled this and this definitely works in roles where you can um, base productivity and uh, and all those parameters on an outcomes basis rather than an hours basis. And um, in my team, I have quite a few people who work part-time and um, a, a couple of them even work flexible part-time. It's not even on fixed days, but they know what their outcomes are for the week and when they need to be done and it is achievable. Um, 
you know, I think that there are far wider economic questions around does a four-day work week work or not. But, um, you know, I'm all, I'm all for it. I'm all for that work-life blend, whatever works for different people. Yeah, very well said. And so when, when you think about it, what are the other big things that you're going to be keeping your eye out for in the, the sort of trends in the employee uh, engagement space and the high-performance workplace space? It's going to be an interesting um, period of time. I, I think the, this year, especially as organisations are really keen to, to get people into workplaces and creating a different level of experience for employees because, you know, they're no longer in the, in the workplace. Five, you know, 80% of your workforce was generally in the workplace five days a week. So that's changing. Um, I, I would say a lot of things will change, you know, the way that organisations uh, train and develop their employees and um, and work out their talent and succession pipelines will change. Um, the way we have relationships with team members will also change. A lot of things will move into a digital way um, and digital collaboration and so on. It'll be interesting to see how innovation is impacted for organisations as well to see if um, if having people working from home and living in, you know, working in their space and um, having a lot more of that quiet time is going to allow them to focus more on development or whether that interaction with other people is going to be um, more important. So I think a lot of organisations that are high performing um, are really measuring all these things and um, and, and measuring the sentiment in the organisation and, uh really keeping on top of that data to help them make decisions around what they their universe will look like. Great, Srinka. I, I want to end by just asking you if you could name a couple of your favourite workplaces at the moment and tell me why you like them and what you like about them. Oh, I don't want to play favourites. <laughs> <laughs> can, I, can I prod you a little quiet. bit to just tell me who you're liking right now? It's not favourites. It's just I'd like to know what you're seeing is um, best practice or high performers in the space. Yeah. Um, well, we, we just did a webinar on um, diversity and inclusion, so a lot of those things come to mind at the moment. So one of them, one of the organisations is Coloplast. Uh, they, they are a wound care organisation and, you know, when they're thinking about diversity and inclusion, they're really, every time they have an open role, they think about, well, can this role be performed by an older employee? Can it be performed by somebody who wants to return to the workplace? Can it be performed by somebody who works part-time? Um, can this role be performed by somebody who who is an end user of ours, a client of ours? And, you know, really assessing the whole concept of, how we advertise for roles and how we we um, we bring people into the organisation and, and um, you know do are there are there any limitations to this role or can it be performed by a person who's willing to do the job and has the right the right qualifications no matter what their immediate background was in so I think that's one of uh, one of our organisations and one of our clients that thinks that looks at this um, very differently. Um, there's uh, another client, Export Finance, who have a really great partnership with uh, the Reconciliation um, uh, Act organisation and, you know, doing a lot to partner with Indigenous businesses and bring awareness to their employees and 
in fact, um, put together a two-year reconciliation plan together and achieved two-thirds of the um, of their goals within the first year because employees are just so, the team members are just so invested in what they are doing and, um, and you know, really um, want to be part of that change and part of that journey in our society. Um, there's, there's a lot of our clients that are working with disability services to look at engaging the disabled workforce into, into the workplaces. I was actually really shocked um, in researching our last webinar. According to ABS, about a quarter of people with disabilities are full-time employed. And, it's, um, and you know, more, more often than not, that number is low because of opportunities to participate and opportunities to get in front of organisations. And I would say, you know, that's one of the positives that came out of the pandemic and lockdowns is that people with disabilities were able to prove that they can work just as well from home as other people who used to work in an office environment. Um, But, yeah, there's, you know, there's so many great things about um, the best places to work and, you you can read a synopsis on all the organisations and what makes them special at workforthebest.com, um, uh, you know, and 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 see what organisations offer and if it resonates with you, are they the kind of workplace you would like to be at? Fantastic. So we'll end just by asking you about where can people connect with you and learn a bit more about your work and feel free to list your own uh, personal details if you like, um, but also the organisations and websites that people can go to. Yeah, absolutely. So if uh, if your organisation is keen to to see how they measure against others in the in the marketplace, and uh, you would like to have an insight into what are the something some of the things you do well, and what are some of the things you can improve, you can connect with Work Plus. So we've got a funny spelling of our company name. It's W R K P L U S. Um, and, um, and yeah, also if you're looking for, for a new role and a new challenge and are looking to, to work for an organisation that is a great employer and is going to um, respect and nurture you, definitely have a look at some of the opportunities available through uh, workforthebest.com. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn. I'm very easy to find. Not many Zrinkers around. <laughs> Not many Zrinkers sure around. <laughs> No, I've only ever found one myself. (laughs) As opposed to Mike Davis where there's probably 100,000. There's a few. There's a couple. There's at least a few of us. Um, Zrinka, thank you so much for joining me today. It's just been a pleasure chatting. Um, Hang on a sec and we'll have a quick debrief. Sounds good. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player and why not share it with a friend or two? If you want more from your Humans of Purpose experience, become a Humans of Purpose member today through our new platform, Supercast. All you need to do is hit the link in our show notes. If you have a message to share with our audience about your brand, products, or services, we have a wide variety of paid promotional packages available. Please get in touch by hitting the link in our show notes.